Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, what's up? We're going to revisit the epiphany I had last episode and see if we can dig in. Excellent. Revisiting epiphany. <laughs> but first, what are you working on? Well, I have been working on some... Not creative things, but... Is anything truly not creative? Well, true, true. I actually had a spectacular day with um, doing some of the middle school math today. I really enjoyed that. Very interesting and creative. The other thing that came up was last night, I am working in on an idea for a short film. And so I'm working that out. Ooh, well, great. That's very exciting. I had a mammogram. With two masks on. So that was just extra fun. Like if you've ever thought like, what could make a mammogram more fun? <laughs> what if I wore two masks during it? Like that would over my mouth, right? Two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> Wear a mask. Okay. Um, and I'm getting very excited about questions. There what are a number. Well, there are a number of different questions. Basically, I'm in a sort of exploring stage. I'm sort of waiting on a couple projects on like, you know, to bounce back to me, essentially. And meanwhile, I'm, um, you know, trying to get ready to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. And um, and so there are questions like the 36 questions that make you fall in love, which I'll put a link to in the chat, which the New York Times published, right? That whole sort of idea that if you sit and ask these questions of, of a stranger... You will fall in love. Well, then you have to stare in their, in their eyes for four minutes, so I'm not sure what the craft equivalent is to that, but... And then that, so there's that, and there's like David Mamet has these three questions. I can't even remember what they are, but they're basically like... But they're awesome. They have, well, I'm just, I can't remember now. They're about, they're about who's in the scene, who's fighting whom over what, that sort of thing. What do they want? Mm -hmm. They're kind of basic, I guess, but, um, and then... Not like he's basic. <laughs> and then, um, oh, there's a, oh, there's the Den Gil Dennis questions that I've put a link to and a hundred others. So you're shows. working on... Character work. Curating character questions. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. And then I'm prepping Say for that Sonoma three times County fast. Writers Camp coming up next week on emotion. I second that emotion. All right. So um, let me go to the topic. Okay. And I will say that I've, I was really aware that I was having an epiphany mm -hmm. when I was having the epiphany. Mm hmm and it was very exciting to me. It continues to feel exciting to me, but I've tried to articulate it and I'm not sure I've succeeded. Like, I'm not sure that the epiphany has concluded. Okay. It's, so if an epiphany is sort of, it's like, well, what is the religious term? It's some kind of appearance of a ghost or something? <laughs> it's, some, it's some Catholic thing. You explain it. <laughs> Actually, I'm not that good a Catholic. Uh... Not like James Joyce. Right. It's so like I don't remember. The, it's like an aha moment, but it comes from some religious thing, right? Um, the Holy Ghost. I Jesus don't know. isn't here, but that's <laughs> Easter. Anyway, um, okay. So we don't know the etymology of epiphany, the religious etymology of epiphany. But the point is, it was like this flash of realization that again has continued to have an excite, exciting feeling, but I'm not sure I've articulated it yet, so which means I'm not sure it's come to complete fruition. But what I want to do is attempt to articulate it. Mm -hmm. And then I want to ask you some questions about your process and the way you've introduced planning into what was before an entirely chaotic and in, intu intuitive process. Mm -hmm. And um, I know for myself, mine continues to oscillate between 
chaos intuition. And and this might be what we're going to talk about, but I I would argue that planning is intuitive. And chaotic. And chaotic, yeah. Well, right. So I think that's something that is profoundly misunderstood about you Mm -hmm. and your understanding of planning. But let let me start with the epiphany. So we were talking about character mm-hmm. and scene and some, and I think that, the, anyway, I, I think that this comes from my really strong sense that scene contains character, that if you watch somebody moving through the world and, mm-hmm. and really in all the, you know, prose allows you to see into their minds and hearts mm-hmm. plus see what they see and how they see it and that gives you tone and mood plus what they do and what you know what they react to right so there's like if when you see and we talked about this we talked about this in last week's episode which is hence the epiphany which is like about the different ways our mothers cut carrots do you remember that mhm that ringing a bell yes so and just so how much is revealed about character through action and that oftentimes writing an, an initial like a discovery draft one of the big things you're really discovering is the characters Mm-hmm. Really getting to know the characters. And that some of what I get attached to about a discovery draft is those discoveries about character and even about story that um, that are very are very exciting to me as sort of a the writer who is also reading it for the first time. Right. But that ultimately, once I really know the character really well, I could do the sort of Lauren Groff throw away the draft thing. Right. And start over again, and and just with the scene list and this that deep knowledge of character creates something perhaps much stronger and in a way more straightforward than the heavily narrated exploration of character interiority and all of that that is really a discovery process. Okay. That's my thought. I sounds good. So is there a question in there? Yes. So for you, I wanted so I thought, okay, well, you have you came from this place of, I'm just telling myself this story, yes. right? Very discovery draft as end product in essence. And then mm. you were like, except it's not the end. Now I have to revise it and I don't know how. And so I'm going right. to study screenwriting and structure and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm going to bring that. And that really clicked with you. And I will say I'm reading, I don't know how you say his name, but Matthew Sal- Salases, it's his book on craft. I'll put a link in the show notes so you don't have to worry about my pronunciations. But um he, it's a, it's a critique of craft, like a critique of craft as very much a cultural product right? and byproduct. And that people who say this isn't clear, they're actually saying this isn't clear to a certain very specific given audience, not, and, and so, you know, and so that people who might be saying something that's very clear to a, a different audience are going to be told, you know, you're, you're not doing it right. Explain these words, explain that food, explain these terms, explain that love, explain, right, anything that's outside of the norm. Okay. It's really, it's very I, smart. I, I, I'm sure it's smart. I'm not disagreeing with that at all. I think um, I'm just trying to process what you're saying because I feel like we've hit four different things. So I'm trying to kind of hone us back in on what we're going to discuss today. <laughs> okay. So I guess what the first question I have for you is where would you, how do you distinguish between, if you do, and where would you mark the shift between discovery work and actual sort of drafting, like keepable drafting? 
Um, well, first, I actually want to say that that experience of inhabiting a world and capturing it is very pleasurable. The and, discovery draft, you mean? Well, here's what I want to say about that, actually. So I think I came to writing because my dad would prune all the trees in our orchard and my sister and I, like our job <clears throat> was to pick up all of the prunings and put them in the burn pile. So that's what we did. And during that time, you would be surprised at how boring that actually can be. So I think I started telling myself stories during that process, right? So then when I first started learning how to what write... Kind of stories? Just, you know, I was in love with Oz as a kid. And so I would sort of think about Oz and I would think about like sort of what could happen, what else could happen in that environment. Um, I would think about characters I knew. I wasn't necessarily starting with characters that I had created. Fan fiction. Right. It was fan fiction. In the orchard. And in the orchard. <laughs> and so that's sort of where I started. And then when I got like into eighth grade, uh, a big moment for me was that, you know, our, our eighth grade teacher said, okay, we're going to write a novel this year. And that was the first time I'd ever, ever tried to capture something that was uniquely my own in this particular way. And I loved it. It was the same process as being out in the orchard, picking up sticks, but no sticks. Uh, I had to come up with my own characters. Right. And I do think it was hugely derivative. Um, you know, as, as how you learn is to be derivative. Um, so by the time I had sort of gone through high school and I'd done all of these things, I think I hadn't learned really what's happening underneath a story. So the only way I knew how to approach having that experience was through writing everything down. But in the brain that I have, that made it almost impossible to reapproach the work because there was too much information in, so, in that document. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, there will be a moment where, you know, you're looking at setting, you're looking at character, you're looking at plot, you're looking at sentence style. You're looking at so many things at once when you do that kind of draft that it is really hard to separate out things. Is the reason my, you know, critique group, when I go to my MFA and my, you know, workshop, is the reason they aren't connecting with my characters because, as you know, this author suggests that I was you know, culturally unintelligible to them, was the reason uh, someone else's didn't come across was because their sentence structure was not something I could participate in. Like, there's all these things that can right. really make something inaccessible for a number of people that aren't story. And so when I graduated and I started doing the screenwriting, it gave me an opportunity to really focus on two things, not 400. And that's why... And the two things were? Character and story, right? What are the actions that this character is going to take? But then what is the root? Like, what is it you want to say about the world? And, uh, you know, Egri's idea of a premise. And so, you know, how do we approach these... Uh, works in a way that communicates something, you know what I mean? And so going through the screenplay work, I really resisted. I really hated it. It was really hard for me to do it, honestly. Like it is so much easier to sit down and envision a world and everything is like 
either terrible or beautiful, but there's no moment in the drafting, at least for me, where I was actually, A, able to complete something enough that I could go back and look at it, and B, I had no way to reapproach it. So separating out all of the extraneous was really helpful, but when I got more proficient, when I had practiced that action, I actually realized that I was still having that experience. I was still hearing the characters' voices in my head. I was still... Even though you had done this brainstorming, list-making, figuring out about the character. During this list-making, figuring out piece. So it wasn't that I had to wait until I was done. It was that I could sit. And I think we all have this experience. Like, you know, last couple nights I've been thinking about the screenplay. I haven't written anything down yet, but I've really been thinking about this screenplay and thinking about the, the characters in the screenplay. Uh, what is, what are the colors? What are the, all those? I'm, I have all of that stuff mm-hmm. still going through me, but what I capture on the page has to be focused, right? Ev- this, eventually is now or later. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, you're saying, well, yeah, either I can say like, if I were to write this scene, right? So I'm thinking about a scene where, um, well, I'll probably never make this film, so I'll just go Don't ahead and say, say this. Don't say that. That's negative self-talk. It is negative self-talk, but it's also accepting where I am time-wise right now. Yeah, but but the idea never. was sort of looking at this moment where a character who has always really defined themselves as being sort of young, impetuous, doing these things, having a moment when they're presented with an opportunity that they don't take, right? Mm-hmm. And so they don't take this opportunity and it doesn't feel them, fill them with this sense of like, I have now grown up, I, you know, but that they know that they've passed a moment in their youth, like where they are no longer able to be naive, about how their behavior impacts other people. Mm. And so there's a little bit of a grief mm. for that. Rather than like, oh, look, I, I've been presented with this thing that I always fall for, not going to fall for it this time, and that makes me sad. It's like when Charlie Brown says no to Lucy. Right. Some part of him wants to keep having that hope yeah. that the ball will stay there, and if he eventually says no to her. So, so thinking about that, right? So I have a sense as I'm doing this, really clearly in my head, I'm imagining a place. It's not like I'm not imagining a place. It's not like I'm not imagining what these characters look like or um, those kinds of things. But as I sit down to work on it, I'm just working on who are these characters? Like who is a person who... These are the questions right. that you ask. And so it's like, who, who is the p- kind of person who's not going to feel proud for passing up a mistake, but instead have a grief about it? What does it mean? Obviously, this person has an underlying belief, right? So what's that underlying belief? Well, um, that playfulness is gone, right? Or joie something... Joie de vivre. Joie de vivre, right? So I can sit there and think about that and focus on the character. I haven't lost anything else in the process. Mm-hmm. So then when I write my outline, sometimes you pop in and out of it, but a lot of times you're really aware of 
all of the pieces you're still carrying with you. Do you know what I mean? Like all, I, I think when I write an outline and I think about, well, I think about the, uh, another movie I never made. So uh, it was a screenplay called uh, Rock and Rolla Ahola, right? And the idea, you know, was really about a group of people who had been a kind of a punk rock girl band in the 90s and the ways in which life had changed for them and, and how they had changed over time. I just did the outline for it initially, but I knew because I was in, you know, San Francisco in the nineties and because I, you know, had grown up, <laughs> there were different places where I would see, so I could write this outline and really be present in, uh, there was one scene that I'm thinking about specifically where they go back to get the drummer and they're trying to get her to come back to the band. And she is now sort of an upper middle class person and her kid has all this stuff that she had never had mm. right mm -hmm. and in that scene um the two kind of you know close partners go to her house they're trying to get her to come back and be a drummer and her son has a miniature drum set and as she's angry she's playing the drums and telling them why she can't come back, right? <laughs> what it will cost her to come back. But at the same time, of course, she's got this power and this rhythm and this anger at the privilege of the life she stepped into. I did not write a whole bunch about that. I can still remember that from the outline. Mm. Like, yes, I eventually wrote the script, but... I remember this from the outline. You know, what's interesting about filmmaking is that there are always these iterations, right? And that, that even the screenplay itself is in essence a, an outline mm -hmm. or a blueprint or whatever, mm -hmm. right? And so, so there's a way in which there's that expectation. And of course, in, a, in prose, the reader brings, I think, a tremendous amount as well. Though, Your co-collaborator? Though, you know, though not, I wouldn't say it, as much as a full crew cast producer, director, set I don't builder. know. I mean, I think... You are expected to do some of the shooting of your own film when you're writing a novel. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But, again, I'm going to just go back. When I was in high school, I remember reading some short story. I don't even remember the story, but what I remember was having a conversation in class and saying, well, those green curtains, well, they weren't green. There was nowhere that the author had mentioned they were green. There were uh, references to green in the light. There were references to green in these other places. I had colored the curtains right. myself. So I do want to say that the reader definitely brings... Oh, absolutely. And I often have, um, you know, in books I read, I often um, create a location from real life locations. Mm -hmm. So it'll be like a certain, certain house I lived in or whatever. And that'll be where that novel plays itself out in my head. And so, you know, I have those images... In my mind as well. But, you, but I was saying I was a reader. I didn't write it. Yeah. No, right. I'm, saying as, I'm saying also as a reader, I will, often, yes. okay. I will often picture them in, you know, this or that house, like in a real life space that I, that I know. I will picture the characters I'm reading about okay. Okay. living in that real life space or whatever. Yeah. 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 Or some hybrid. Yeah. Habit, like you do in a dream. Absolutely. Okay. So I guess I'm just, you know, 
part of this is because I've been going through such sort of this decade of intense revision, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and so trying to figure out kind of the way in, really, you know, the way in, mm-hmm. um, and how to do the exploration with that spirit of of openness. Mm-hmm. And then, and I do think, you know, you said this, you said my, with my mind, with the mind I have, you know, this is what happens. And I think that's true for me too. Like I, um, I don't, I'm not going to just, I'm not even going to hold the whole story the first time (laughs) Yeah, I write it. Who does? I think some people really do. I think some people are, are methodical and in their thinking and they're able to say, okay, you know, like, like, I mean, Ellen always asks herself, what happens next? And mm-hmm. then, you know, she knows and she writes it or she writes it and she knows or whatever, right? And there's this sort of build. And I think if you have that kind of deep sort of internal organization, um, it's not, it doesn't become urgent to like bring that sort of... Sort right. Of- and I will say like for me, the planning part definitely stems from an inability to return to that much information on the page. Mm-hmm. So I cannot process... I can do it in iterations, right. but I cannot do it in one go. Right. And so if I'm trying to make the story better and I have a scene that I've already written all of the significant detail and the sentence rhythms are there, I'm not in a good way because I'm not going to know necessarily or I'm going to feel frustrated or upset that I have to change things that seem already permanent. So here's what I sort of want to ask you about. We're, we're kind of running over a little bit, but I mean, in terms of how this is all the pacing, but um, of our podcast. Editing. Yes. Okay. So what <laughs> I want to ask you about is um, when you took the screenplay Little Mutinies mm-hmm. and you turned it into a novel, mm-hmm. it evolved during the Definitely. writing. Definitely. And so how does that sort of fit in with your process and what do you think came out of in that? What, what, what do you think that added stuff was? Um, well, uh, I'm going to be really honest. I think when I wrote the screenplay, I was being really driven by personal experience. Not that I was necessarily any of those characters, but that I knew people who had been wrestling with the same kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. Um, and so as I sort of did that, and I remember there was a drafting day, right, where I was taking the screenplay and one of the scenes turned out differently, right? It's like, oh gosh, who is this character that suddenly showed up? Um, that I think is always going to happen. Anytime you're in drafting, I think you have the opportunity to make a big shift. Did you circle back to some of the structure oh, yeah. work? To oh, yeah. To figure it out, to kind of integrate it? Yeah. Right yeah. then? or Because I know you were sort of, you were on some sort of self-created schedule, so you mm-hmm. weren't going to like pause for two weeks and re-outline. Right. Um, I can't 100% remember exactly what I did, to be honest. Um I do remember, though, that it made sense about a character's thinking a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So you have a character who's really angry at her mother and uh, a disappeared father, 
and what are the opportunities to open up in that? And I think I hadn't really slowed down to think about that. Well, the other thing I think this raises, and we'll, we'll let this close out, I, this, this very interesting discussion, but I think is that time off. So you do an mm-hmm. outline, you figure it out, you do your thinking, you do your exploring, you, you develop something, you write it, uh-huh. you took time off, you go back to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have, you're going to be able to mine kind of what what is there and and build from it. I mean, right, because you just mm-hmm. had time off. So I don't actually think, and this is what I was going to say, is like I think if you can build sort of a strong foundation from your outline, mm-hmm. one, again, it can be completely intuitive as, as we've been saying. It can be as intuitive as anything about like sitting down and writing for 400 words a day but not knowing what you're writing. Um, sitting down and writing a page of outline a day actually can do a lot to sort of feed your subconscious, prep you for when you sit down to write. And I think what it does is it gets you through some of the cliche ideas because you are able to sort of step out and say, okay, I I have the scene where mother and daughter are fighting. Where is the place we always see that happen? And I might sit down and write a scene where it happens in the place we always see it happen. It happens in a kitchen. It happens in a living bedroom. room. It happens in a bedroom. It happens, you know, in these certain places. Well, where's the place that never happens? And if you don't have, like, the distance from it, it's hard to kind of come up They're with that. They're playing pool. Right. So, like, for me, um, I ended up with writing in that particular story, writing about two characters. In the, and I think we see the, you know, mother character in one light, who is like, she's really makes bad choices, right? Really bad choices. And um, there are ways I that I hope, I actually think she's a pretty unique character. Mm-hmm. And um, a mother who makes bad choices, that doesn't happen in real no, life. <laughs> no, but I think that, you know, I think of um, how we, how we portray, portray intelligence. And we kind of assume that either someone has these really sort of structured expressions or they're so smart they don't make mistakes or uh, any number of things, right? So I think we have some really rigid ideas about what it what a really smart person might look like. Right. And I feel like that character wasn't that. And in part, it was because I could take the time and think about, here are all the things I don't want to say. Mm. and I can go through and develop a story in an outline, and I don't want to pretend it's quick either. So we're, I know we have to wrap up, but I, it's not a fast thing. It's faster than writing an entire draft and then coming back and editing, but it's not perfect the first time, and it's not fast. It's not a simple thing. Because yeah. you're still imagining and creating right. and all of that. All right, well, I'm mulling, mulling my epiphany. Yeah. Thank you for chatting with me about it. We'll see how it goes. It's time for... Steal This! Amateur Poets Borrow. Professional poets steal. What have you come across in your wanderings and readings that you would like to take and make your own? Uh, I think I'm still fighting to get back to simplifying. Hmm. So a while ago we talked about you know Cal Newport and talking about <laughs> deep work and I think I want to figure out, like, you know, there's this idea of an ideal ratio. 
of deep work to not deep work <laughs> or like of people locked in a house for how many hours a day. Well, right. And the idea is the idea is you get to define what the ratio is. It's not like you don't get to define. It's not like everybody's ratio is the same. But the idea that I'm even putting on the table that I want to fight for windows of focus is what I'm stealing for this week. All right. How about you? Oh, me. <laughs> um well One of the things that happened this week that I that I sort of loved, and which I am going to use, I think, in emotion camp next mm-hmm. week, is um, I was looking at Tony Robbins because uh-huh. you know he does talk about changing your emotional state, and I was sort of curious how that might tie into some of the work we do in narrative. And he talked about this study where um, I don't. It's, it's a little bizarre, but any, and I'm probably getting it slightly wrong because this is now like you know multiple iterations, but. He, somebody went up to these people and said, will you hold my coffee for five mm-hmm. minutes while I do something? And um, all of which is like a fantasy now, right? Like, yes, I'll hold your coffee. Can I go to a cafe? But anyway. I'm going to sneeze on top of a coffee. Yeah. Will you hold it for me <laughs> once I'm done with that? So um, so then uh, they came back and then they said, okay, you know, um, we're going to read you this you know, paragraph about this person and you're going to analyze it or something. I don't know what people are thinking and all this, but anyway, so then, but you know, that was the world where all sorts of things were happening and who knew? It happens all the time that you get asked to hold a (laughs) cup of coffee and then someone randomly comes up and says, I'm going to give you a paragraph. Can you tell me? So that happened. So half the people had been given cold coffee and half had been given warm coffee. And when they're asked to analyze the character in the passage, the half who had just held a cold coffee for five minutes described the character as cold. And the half who had held warm coffee described the character as warm. Mm-hmm. And I think this is sort of proof <laughs> <laughs> that, at least in certain cultural contexts, detail resonates across all the layers of a story. And so you won't, you aren't just going to have a cold cup of coffee and not have it mean something. To, about the character, the scene, the story. Right. And um, yeah, and that's where your reader is a co-collaborator. That's interesting. Yeah. So I'm going to steal your coffee. <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, you guys, go out and make this next week your best writing week Ever. so far. Ever.